Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of media and entertainment. This is Shirley Halpern, Executive Editor of Music, with an episode dedicated to music management and how the role of a manager has changed over the years. To help us understand today's artist representation game, we speak to Mark Gillespie, who co-founded the company 360 and has been instrumental in guiding the careers of Calvin Harris, Frank Ocean, Will Smith, as well as Willow and Jaden Smith. A native of Birmingham in the UK, Gillespie paid his dues in local dance music clubs, which led him to Calvin Harris some 15 years ago. Today, Gillespie calls the intersection of tech and music his passion and has invested his own funds into such companies as Outdoor Voices, Stance, and Ember Technologies. He's also a big thinker. To get a sense of where Mark Gillespie is coming from, head over to Variety.com where he has authored a guest column under the headline, Will 5G and Web 3.0 Usher in a New Copyright Crisis for the Music Industry? Gillespie would know, having been on the other side of the deal-making, negotiating a reported $100 million deal in 2020 for the publishing catalog of his longtime client Calvin Harris to Vine Investments. The Scottish DJ isn't exactly a recognizable face, but you definitely know his songs. We Found Love featuring Rihanna, One Kiss with Dua Lipa, his own Summer and Feel So Close, among dozens more dance floor staples around the world. Our second interview in this music-themed episode is with Michelle Harrison of Range Media Partners, a new Hollywood firm that's shaking up the entertainment landscape. Opened less than a year ago, during the height of the pandemic actually, by a group of defectors from big-time agencies like WME and UTA, it signed some big-time clients like Bradley Cooper, Kira Knightley, and Mariah Carey, as well as respected managers like Harrison, who spent much of her career guiding bands like Vampire Weekend and The Shins and working with Jamie Foxx. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. L-A-S-I-K LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. 
Welcome back to Strictly Business. Here's 360's Mark Gillespie. Mark, welcome to Strictly Business. Thank you for having me. I'm going to make the assumption that people who listen to this podcast might not necessarily be familiar with you or your background. So if you had to sort of give the Cliff Notes version, how did you come up in the music industry? Um, I was a promoter for the first five or six years of my career, which started by handing out nightclub flyers on the street and staying up incredibly late at night and being part of a community of people that were that were out and about and worked in nightlife in the city that I grew up in. And then over time, assumed slightly more responsibility within the organization that I worked in at the time and would put decorations up in the club. I would uh, run drinks for the DJs. I would uh, stand on the front door and run the guest list. I basically worked every single possible job from the ground up and eventually over time developed relationships with the talent. Some of those relationships I still have today. Eventually I took over booking the talent and being in a place where we where we went from being quite a ramshackle sort of crazy um, gang of misfits that just got together once a week to put this club night on to actually becoming a organized company within the world of music and then from there we started to put shows on in arenas and then we began to program a festival and over time you know the business became bigger and bigger and bigger and then one thing that I figured out while I was doing a lot of that stuff was that that every week week in week out rain or shine you know these various different agents and managers would turn up in my office late at night and come and collect their fees and no matter what happened, if the club had 10 people in it or it had 2,000 people in it, they always came to get the envelopes. <laughs> After a period of time, I was like, maybe I want to be the guy picking the envelope for the guy, you know, handing it, handing it. And it gave me the inspiration to start looking around and, and figuring out whether it was something that I could maybe do. And felt like I had a good level of knowledge in the touring world and production and working with talent and having a relationship and how to how to look after people and knew absolutely nothing whatsoever other than the odd compilation here and there about putting records out and quite an important part of the job as a manager. When you were coming up and and uh, you were try- attracted to the dance music scene, it seems like, mm-hmm. what was popular at the time? Like, what what was that scene like? So I started going out a lot in the scene sort of 1997, 1998, just as I was turning 18 years old. And at that moment in time, dance music was very European focused. There were a lot of, um, it was like the first wave of superstar DJs. So there were a lot of personalities that would move up and down the country over a weekend and go to all these different nightclubs. Sometimes the DJs that would come and play for us would play two or three shows in a night. And they were sort of celebrities within a pocket industry. But a lot of it was like commercial house music. It was a mixture of different genres within a genre at that moment in time. But yeah, at the moment when I got in, it was very much about, you know, crossover house. Some of it from the US, some of it from Europe, some of it from Australia. There was a lot of different things happening at the same time. And is that what led you to Calvin Harris? a mixture of that and some technology you know it was that moment in time where myspace was just starting to become a thing i've always been somebody really into technology and fascinated by technology since i was a kid and um 
my sort of passion for electronic music and the being able to utilize technology to find new music was sort of how, how we ended up together, I guess. You know, Calvinus remained an outlier in the music industry because he's so consistent. His, he has such a successful track record and it sort of like defies genreization, you know, and it it seems almost timeless. You can hear a Calvin Harris song from 10 years ago, 12 years ago. It sounds as fresh as it, you know, if it was released last last week. Is he like a perpetual dance artist or is he a pop artist or do you not think in those terms? How do you view Calvin? What what kind of artist is he? Honestly, I think that he is an incredible songwriter and I think that that is the core of it. Great producer who makes great sounding records, which test, you know, stand the test of time and a, an incredible songwriter, one of the greatest songwriters, I think. And that's why his... Uh, his music stands apart from a lot of other records that may be in the genre or, or genre aligned at that moment in time. Working from a grassroots level up is ultimately, I think, what was one of the main factors towards, you know, his, his early success. He worked incredibly hard always. And when, when he came to the US, toured every market repeatedly over and over and over again, promoted records in every single market over time. And you guys have been working together for a long time. When did you start managing him? In uh, somewhere around middle of 2006, I think. These relationships I find super fascinating. Uh, the longevity of a manager-artist relationship, which can be so stressful and so fraught with difficult decisions, <laughs> questions of art and commerce, and what do you want to do with your career? How do you change with the times and the trends? So to what do you attribute this long relationship that you guys have? I think just being in a place where we can we can be totally honest with each other. Um, con consistency. You know, I don't, I, there isn't a day that goes by that I take my job for granted in the slightest and know that, that um, I'm sure that there are plenty of other people in the world that would love my job and I, I treat it like that. The truth is, is that he's had a very long career because he's incredibly good at what he does. And I hope that I've been able to help him along the way, but that's my part to play in it. But really, he's done all the hard work. So tell me a bit about the mission of 360, um, you know, when you launched it and how it's evolved over the years. When we first launched the company, it was a mixture of different businesses together. We did a bit of everything, which is where 360 came from. There was a moment in time where it was a bit of a buzzword, not long after we sort of renamed the company that and spent a long time uh, hating the name of the business because there was this horrible association with 360 deals with artists that were, uh, at that moment in time, the most unpopular thing in the world at the business. But but it was it was a combination of a few different businesses. My business partner at the time, had a label management business and would press records and distribute records, which was a really smart business to have inside the business and brought us a lot of interest from a lot of clients. We could manufacture stuff in really quick turnaround, like week to week, we'd be able to press stuff on a Monday and he'd be able to distribute it by the Friday. So that was like very, very early 360. And then we, we, would, we were focused on remix management and conversing with the labels and with the major record companies and being able to provide services on that side of things but i think really we were one of the first one of the very first businesses to take the electronic music genre really seriously as managers 
So you were talking as a we, you're referring to Dean Wilson, yes? Yeah. Dean was a partner in the company at that moment in time. There was another gentleman called Andy Rutherford that were partners in the business in the beginning. And the next partnership that you guys had was with Rock Nation? Four or five years into the business, newly formed Rock Nation. It was like a brand new, I remember going to their offices in, in an, they were in apparel business sort of offices. They were just getting going and everything was temporary furniture. It was, it was such an incredible and interesting time. And yeah, that, we got to know them really well. We, we had a great relationship. And they were probably looking, as I recall, you know, to create this sort of collective of managers that was very diverse, that had, you know, uh, interests in all kinds of, of artists and different music. And they didn't really have a strong dance presence. So I imagine that's what you guys brought to the table. Yeah, that, that and geographical presence as well. I, I remember being, you know, having early conversations with them just about the nuances between what was happening in the UK and the US and, mm. and how having us there would be beneficial to them. And so I'm curious how you've seen management change. Gig of being a manager, the job changes every single day. So we have one title and, you know, you're, you're called a manager, but depending on which day of the week it is, you can be the sales guy, you could be the digital person, you could be, you know, a content producer, you could be, there's so many different variants. The scope of a manager from when I began in management to where we are today has changed so, 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 so much. I joined the industry at a time where you, we were completely dependent on record companies, on retail and certain partners. And now I think that there's been such great amount of time that you have to think about making sure that we're there. That brings me to the catalog copyright market. Calvin has amassed more hits than even, you know, your more, most successful pop artist. And I'm sure you could fetch a pretty penny if you wanted to take his catalog to one of these buyers of IP. So how do you navigate that world as a manager? Having an understanding of the value of intellectual property is probably one of the most complicated things that you can learn ever. I often joke with, with my friends that work in different industries that once you've managed to figure out how to navigate a record deal or a publishing deal, that everything else is pretty straightforward after that. that they are literally contractually some of the most complex agreements that you can encounter in, in the world. When it comes to then valuing the levers within those contracts that create the value of intellectual property, it's a complicated place to be. What I've seen happen in the marketplace is that there are a lot of financial advisors that are good at building models that that then, you know, can do a lot of really great technical things that explain why there is value within copyright. Understanding the importance of being able to have reversions within your deal or potentially owning your own copyrights or being in a place where you, you know, you license them for a period of time. All of that sort of stuff is like the most complex part of management. So trying to get your head around it, there's, there's a lot going on in the marketplace right now. I think that you have to build a profile to have an understanding of what a catalog is really worth. I think from there, you then go to market and, you know, they take these really sophisticated models and they throw them out the window and everybody bids against each other. And eventually you end up with a number that hopefully makes sense. It's... um. It is a complicated time predicated on continued growth of streaming over a very long period of time in some instances, but they're big decisions to make for any artist. But yeah, it's an interesting time. It's a fascinating moment in history. And a lot of people will be either really right or a lot of people will be really wrong. And, you know, history will tell.
NFTs or digital art tokens that sell in cryptocurrency had a big moment this year, especially among musicians who were able to see big paydays for the right offering. What's your take on NFTs? I, I love the NFTs and the optionality that they bring to the business and the creativity that, that, that they potentially unlock. It's super early days the opportunity to be able to directly create direct commerce opportunities with fans, to be able to give different value propositions to an audience, to be able to track data through all of this stuff. I think that we're on the verge of of one of the most exciting times. I, I always feel very excited. Every day I get up and I go to work and I'm like, there's something great going on. But this to me feels like it's going to be a momentous shift of of not just value, but technology as well. And I think that it's going to play out in the creative's favor. Tell us a bit, if you could, about mentors that you've had and advice that you've carried with you over the years. Jed Doherty, he ran Sony in the UK and helped me a lot in the early stages of my career. And he managed Paul Young and Alison Moyer and a number of other different acts. But I remember very early in my career, him giving me some very, very sage advice that I've carried all the way through my my career as a manager, which was never to convince somebody to do something. He was just like, if it doesn't feel like it should be happening, follow your gut. And I made one mistake very early in my career where I felt like I'd convinced an artist that I worked with to do something that they shouldn't have. And I swore to myself that to this day, no matter what, the circumstance were no matter how big the consequences of stopping something happening would be that I would always adhere to that and it's genuinely been like the probably one of the most important bits of advice that I've ever had and it's served me well. I learned from our sister site Music Business Worldwide which I love loved him he described you as a major movie buff I didn't know this about you so seeing that this is variety do you have a passion for visual media? I do. I love film. I love content generally. I love the way that content's moving. I like the way that technology is driving content. I've always been a huge fan of the impact of film and how big it is and the amount of people that it takes to be able to create great movies. Is there a movie that really, you know, uh, you know, that changed your life or really impacted you? Hmm. I like techno thrillers. Is that is the sort of genre of movie that I would say that I enjoyed the most? There's a movie directed by an incredible British director called Alex Garland called Ex Machina. And he's an incredible filmmaker and has recently made a TV show that's on Hulu called Devs, which is pretty awesome as well. But he's had an incredible career. He he wrote a, a lot of great scripts. He worked very closely with Danny Boyle on a number of his early films and then started making movies himself. And I just love what he does. I love the aesthetic of what he does in film. I like the stories that he tells. I like the set design and the aesthetic of his films. They're, they're very satisfying to watch. You're based in California, right? You're based in LA? Yes. So how do you deal with that time difference? I think time zones are just something that you get used to as a manager. My family are in the UK. A lot of my friends are in the UK. My mornings are probably slightly different to other people that work in Los Angeles, just something that I've always done. Mm -hmm. So you wake up in the morning, you you hit the UK first, then you like go to the New York time zone, and then you're you're back in LA, basically. That's it. And yeah, last the last sort of two or three hours of the day, typically sort of the slowest. And uh, yeah, Mark, this was such a pleasure to talk to you, get to know you, your business. Really appreciate you taking the time. And thank you so much for having me on. It was really really great to be here today. 
We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more from Michelle Harrison. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Welcome back to Strictly Business. Michelle Harrison is a music manager who spent 15 years working at a company called Monotone. There, she represented Vampire Weekend, The Shins, and Jamie Foxx. After her time at Monotone, Harrison joined Friends at Work, which is home to John Legend, Raphael Sadiq, and Lindsey Sterling, among other artists. She spent 2019 at Friends at Work, after which she decided to start her own management In 2021, she joined Range Media Partners, a new company founded in September of 2020, with its sights set on shaking up the competitive entertainment industry representation landscape. Range was founded by a group of high-profile defectors from super agencies including CAA, UTA, and WME as a new management firm that will target Hollywood's most powerful potential clients for bespoke representation services. Its roster spans film, television, music, literary, and activism, and includes Tom Hardy, Bradley Cooper, Kira Knightley, Gabrielle Union, and Mariah Carey among its clients. Here's Michelle Harrison. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm honored to be here with you. I wanted to ask you about your 15 years that you spent at Monotone. You worked alongside founder Ian Montone, managing acts like The Shins, Vampire Weekend, and Jamie Foxx. That was from 2003 to 2018. And I'm curious, how have you seen music management change during that time to now at range? It's funny because... A lot has changed, but not a lot has changed. But I think the main thing that I've noticed is that artists want to diversify in so many different, and there are so many different areas to diversify into now that didn't exist back in 2003, like podcasts and even just the barriers of entry to film and TV and other art forms. So I think that's the main change that I've noticed. And I think that that's where like a company like Range can come in because we're the antidote to that. We have all these different avenues that you could go down. We have branding people, we have film and TV people. And and Ian did that as well. Like he was innovative in that regard. And I think like he moved with the times and it's a new model as far as I'm concerned. When you first got to Monotone, like what were your expectations of 
what you would be doing and what was it actually like? I had no idea. Like I had a boyfriend in a band and I remember watching him meet with like his label people and his business people. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to work on the business side of music. And then I just stumbled my way there through hanging out with bands and then meeting Ian Montone. He brought me in. So I really didn't know what to expect. And I think like for me, I've always been like a problem solver and a, um, I guess a survivalist to a degree, like, you know, latchkey kid, all those kinds of things. So, you know, you just kind of learn to like hustle and figure stuff out. And so those skills really apply to management because you're just kind of like winging it as you go, trying to figure things out, like making it up. And so I think that's the skill that I brought to it, not knowing what to expect. Mm -hmm. And the Shins, Vampire Weekend, like those seem like not easy (laughs) acts to break. It's not that people don't listen to bands, but we're definitely like more of a single society these days. And those are very much album artists. What were the challenges that you saw with those acts? Because those were the acts that you worked with primarily. I think like in that era, early 2000s, that was really the thing. But I do think that there's a specific challenge when it comes to breaking a band and building an authentic fan base. Like you don't want to move too fast. You want to really speak to your fans. And then as you can see, those bands have this amazing longevity. So that was really always our primary focus was like, let's just make sure whatever we do, we're doing it to speak to our fans rather than to sell more albums or to tick whatever box. It was more about just really being authentic to our fan base and doing what was right. Mm. And touring, I imagine, was a huge part of their livelihood, right? Yeah, yeah, huge part. And all that is the same kind of thing. It's just like building, not skipping steps, making sure you're hitting each size venue instead of speeding towards something too big, too fast. There's just way more longevity when you take it like on that step-by-step basis. So that was always our focus. And it was frustrating at times because there was many years when there were maybe tours that weren't profitable and you had to build and you had to really look at it from an economic standpoint of you have to reinvest in order to build to the next level. In your experience working with Jamie Foxx, you worked directly with him, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it feels like today it's like a prerequisite that artists have these diverse interests beyond music. So TV, film, podcasts, gaming, all kinds of things. Did you learn about that through your experience with Jamie Foxx? Can you talk about that a bit? Jamie's such a genius. And Jamie thinks this way, like he's just so in touch with humanity. And he's always thought about things in terms of, yes, sure, I'm the Oscar winning actor, but I'm also a man of the people. And so he always approaches everything he does in that way. And I think that was like super eye-opening to me because before that I had only worked with bands. And now Justin Tranter, who I work with at Range, same thing. He's working on Broadway, TV, film, everything, music, obviously. So I think it just showed me you can do all these different things. And actually it serves you to do all these things because then you're speaking to everyone and you're reaching the people that you want to reach. So Range was launched in September 2020 with defectors from the four major agencies. It has some really big names on its roster, including Bradley Cooper, Tom Hardy, Mariah Carey, my favorite, Jack Harlow, new (laughs) signing. How did you hear about Range and how did you start talking to them about working there? 
I heard about it through Don Passman. He's just become like an amazing mentor to me. He's always just been so gracious and, you know, really believed in me and championed me. And he called me one day and told me about Range. And I had started my own management company. And Range really reflected all the kind of principles that I was envisioning for my own management company, team, equity, partnership, the diversification into different areas. And it's not an agency. No. Not at all. Range is a management company, even though all these agents started it. Right. Was it attractive that it didn't have to do with the agency world? It didn't have those pressures of booking and getting those paychecks, just keeping it rolling in. I think the main difference is that for us, we wanted to keep it very boutique. And this has been something that's been throughout my career, really wanting to give very bespoke focus to your clients, you know, and really being able to like creatively think and and giving yourself the space to build something and thinking of it on a long-term basis. So I think it's quality over quantity. That's like the number one difference because I think agencies just have lots and lots of clients. So it's harder to have that kind of focus. And also like agencies are booking and we welcome the agency relationships. They're very important to us. An agency is going to be able to do things and have different relationships. So everything benefits each other. But I think that's the main thing for us was just being able to to really focus in and super serve our clients. What was the, or what is the mission statement at Range? I think it's just very innovative. Like it's all about work-life balance, taking care of each other. If we take care of each other, everyone will benefit. Quality over quantity, equality, equity, trying to be progressive and forward-thinking. Those are all the kind of main principles. Are there offices? Not yet. That's amazing. (laughs) This company was launched in the middle of the pandemic and everyone's working from home. I mean, have you met some of your coworkers? We, I have. We've done our Zoom meetings. We've done some safe social distancing things over COVID. And now that things are opening up, we're getting together more. Mm -hmm. How have you seen the music industry pivot and adapt to COVID? And how do you see it coming out of the pandemic? I think it's been really interesting because I think at the same time you've had this real social awakening consciousness that we all spent all our time running and distracting ourselves. And because everything slowed down, people were able to soul search and dig deep and find what's important. And at the same time, we were this captive audience because everything was content because you couldn't go out. So I think it's been this really interesting time. The content evolution has been amazing to see what's come, but also just the artistry. It just seems like there's so much more room for artists to be authentic and to do things in different ways and to not have to follow every trend. And the ageism seems to have waned a little. You don't have to be 19 or 22 to find success. Like, I just feel like it opened up all these micro communities. It was already happening before, but it seemed to really blossom through COVID. Do you think the music industry needed to look in the mirror? Absolutely. Yes, I do. When I interviewed you around 2018, you were talking about being at Monotone and that there weren't many female managers there. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, did you have any female mentors? Stacey Fass is definitely a female mentor of mine. She's an attorney. Yeah, she's Mm -hmm. an attorney and she's also so brilliant and such an advocate for women. Jody Gershon mm-hmm. definitely always has been super supportive. Michelle Jubilier always been super supportive. Ties to Glorious championed mm-hmm. me in an amazing way. 
I would say those would be them. And I had my colleagues at Monotone, Amy Schmalz mm-hmm. and Tiffany Steffens, who are managers at Monotone, who, you know, we always supported each other and had each other's backs. Do you feel like there are just fewer women in management? Is that changing? I do think it's changing. Like all this awareness has bred this beautiful thing happening where men are like, help us see what we don't know. Like we don't know this, but they're open to hearing the conversation of how it is from a female perspective. And I think similarly, a lot of the older generation women were indoctrinated into this male like patriarchy. And so there wasn't a lot of room for acceptance of each other. And I think now women are much more aware of being supportive of other women and making sure it just it's much different than when my career started, I think. Mm. What was it like to be a female manager of indie rock bands? There were definitely moments that would really make me angry where like the marketing executive from the label, I was the manager in the room and they'd be talking to another part of my team who was male and they'd just cut me out of the conversation. Like definitely remember having those kinds of moments for sure. And just also the sexual harassment. Never had that in any job that I had, but like maybe some random lawyer starts like hitting on me and you're like, this is supposed to be a professional relationship. But it was always kind of a thing that happened in the music industry. Do you think that there's been a shift towards parity? Like, are you seeing that at range? I'm definitely seeing that at range. There's a real consciousness around it. And I think there's this respect for the different voices. And that's the main thing to me is like when you can say there are two different ways to do this. Neither is wrong, but we both have perspective. So maybe if we come together, then there's something better that can come of it. And Mm -hmm. so that's the main thing that I noticed there is just this openness. And I think that there's just a lot of mutual respect. Like many of us came from similar experiences. So I think we relate on that level of just we all contribute something unique. Justin Tranter is a big deal. They are one of the biggest hit makers in the U.S., probably in the world. What's your management philosophy as it relates to Justin Tranter and just in general? Justin Tranter is like the dream. They are just the most incredibly, super brilliantly intelligent, very even-keeled, professional, work ethic, kind, open. So all those things are like what I strive for in any client. And I had that with every client I've ever had. And that's something that's really important to me you know, is just working with people who have that approach. And I think like from a management perspective, it's super fun because you just get to innovate. You get to have new challenges, which was a huge thing for me when I left Monotone. Like nothing was wrong there. It was just that I was looking for new challenges and growth. And this is the kind of client that you can really find it with because Justin will not stop. They are going to take over the world. (laughs) So we're working on Broadway. We're working on film and TV. We're working on the songwriting stuff, but venturing into other genres. So, like, I just get to really think creatively, and there's just no end to the business that can be done, which is, like, always a really exciting client. What do you think is the biggest issue facing the music business today? Artists and songwriters not getting paid what they should get paid. That's just the biggest challenge. Like, we got to figure this out. Like, these companies are making so much money, and it's just not fair that the people who are making the art aren't getting paid what they deserve. So in terms of the artists who get a royalty, 
there has been a shift more towards ownership and dividing the masters or dividing the ownership of the masters between the artist and the record company. Is that addressing these issues? Do you see that changing? I think that it's bigger than that. I think it's like getting the songwriters paid. I think it's figuring out the publishing side because there's so much money on the publishing side that obviously isn't covered by the master. Yes, you're right. The songwriting is incredibly challenged. The way they get their money, how they're allotted a split from Spotify or streaming, right. whatever, all those things, they really need to like a complete upheaval. But on the artist side, it seems like they give up some of that royalty so that they can be touring artists and they can sell merch and they have other avenues of revenue that the songwriters don't have. Yeah. That's why the pact, mm -hmm. which was established this year, that is championing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Justin mm -hmm. Tranter signed it. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> Justin is probably the biggest name on the signatories of the pact. And the pact's main issue is that songwriters are asked to give up a piece of their publishing to the artist. And again, the artist has all those other revenue opportunities, but the songwriter doesn't. So is that the main thing? I would say it's twofold. It's that, that they have to give up percentages over something that maybe the artist might not have even been in the room when it happened. I think bigger than that is like Spotify doesn't pay songwriters. Some of these big companies just don't pay songwriters. So I think it's getting them respected within the culture of the songwriting itself, but then also making sure that we change the way that this money is flowing through. It just needs addressing. And it feels like there's all these people out there fighting for it, but the change just doesn't come. Like, I don't know what it's going to take. It's going to take Justin Tranter. They're, they're there for it. <laughs> This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.